All right, and good morning, Ridge Point Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. We're glad you're here. In fact, I'm so glad you're here. I want you to turn to the person next to you. Give them a high five. Now, listen to me. Give them a high five and say, you are as awesome. Go ahead. (laughs) Give them a high five as the person sitting next to you. Y'all are just like full of yourselves this morning, aren't you? You said you're awesome. You, but, but genuinely, I believe that you are. Like everyone was pausing saying, where is he going with this? And nobody actually did it. So listen, you are awesome. Uh, we are really, really glad that you're here this morning on, on what we believe is, is a powerful Sunday. We believe God's really uh, been doing some things. And, and this morning in particular, I've been really excited just kind of as, as God was developing what this message was going to look like and, and a little bit of, of a different thing we're going to do this morning, uh, just believing that, that God is right in the midst of, of our communities, in the midst of, of, of our lives, and he wants to be passionately and intimately involved in, in, in the stuff that we're doing. And, and so today as we take a, another bite in the series we're calling Monopoly, we'll get to that in just a second. I'm excited about what God has, but before I get to that, I have to mention this. Uh, next Sunday morning, we talked about this last week. Uh, one more time, I'm going to kind of build it up this morning. Next Sunday morning, uh, immediately after the service, we're having we're calling a, a status update. It's going to be a very brief meeting. Uh, just some information about here's some things that are happening at Ridgepoint Church. We gave some information at the beginning of the summer. We kind of want to follow up on that a little bit. But also share some exciting opportunities that we have to serve. We believe that as a church, we should uh, be the most generous people in the world. We should be loving on our community. We're doing that this week in a small way with the Be Joy backpack thing that they're doing, uh, but also in a very more specific way in the coming year, something we've prayed about uh, that we're hoping to be able to announce next Sunday. We kind of built that up as well. So some of those things we're going to talk about next week. So if you're at all a part of Ridgepoint Church, if you want to be a part of Ridgepoint Church in the future, I'd encourage you to stay after. It's going to be a very brief meeting. But just kind of share some things that are going on and maybe some future plans as well. So status update happening right after the service next Sunday morning. Again, just hang out. We'll still get you uh, in, in the front of the buffet line before the Methodists or whoever's going to try to beat us to it. Uh, so we'll still be out by 1130, 1145. But make sure uh, that if you're part of Richmond Church, you're here for that. Week two of Monopoly. Last week, we kind of hit the ground running with this and laid a broad foundation uh, for where we're going. If you're here last week, you know uh, the game Monopoly has led to the dissolution of a lot of friendships as people get upset about the game. Uh, some people are really good, like my son Jahid, who constantly kills us at Monopoly, and some are, are, are very poor at it. But the thing is, as long as it's a game, that's, that's fine. But as soon as we take the tagline of Monopoly and start to put it into our lives, and the tagline being this, own it all. As soon as we start to live that life, uh, it starts to affect us in a profound way. We start to think that success is found in the things that we have. And so we pursue those things and we chase those things. We think success is found in things like owning the biggest house or having the biggest bank account or, or having the nicest car. And we start to look at all of those things. And I think if we're honest for just a second, every one of us have fallen victim to that at, at some point. Guys. Dude drives by with a bigger truck than us, and he has a bigger wheels. And, and right away, you think, man, if, if, I just, if I just had that, like my, my life would be more complete. And everyone can fall victim to looking over and seeing that house or, 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 or seeing that relationship and thinking, man, if I just owned it all, if I just had that, if I just had that, everything would be complete and I'd be successful. And that, that isn't the case, and it often isn't the case at all. 
And so this series uses the game of Monopoly and the tagline owned all as a jumping off point to say, here's how we should live life in a way that, that we're not trying to own it all because living is actually giving. And so how do I live in a way that I'm not trying to gain everything for myself, but I'm trying to look out for the people around me? And we said one of the things we'll talk about is money. Obviously, we're talking about monopoly. We'll get to that next week. Uh, but today we want to talk about what does it look like when it comes to power? Because power is a big thing in our world. And I want to look back real quickly this morning at the passage we looked at last week. And I kind of prefaced this in the beginning of the message. We didn't actually read this together. But right before the scripture we read last week, Jesus is having a conversation with one of the disciples, with, with Peter. And he'd asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they'd responded. And then he asked, but who do you think that I am? And they'd responded with all sorts of answers. The different people had said, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Others think you're Elijah. But Peter reacts. And Peter is the first one often react among the disciples. He's uh, slow to listen, slow to think, and quick to speak. Uh, so he reacts quickly, but actually gets this one right. And he says, we believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he responds accurately. But then Jesus turns the whole conversation Picking up in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, he says this. And he began, as Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man himself must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So Jesus is teaching, hey, this is what's about to happen to me. Now, this is about a year removed from what's going to take place with the crucifixion. But he says, here's what's about to happen to me. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Peter hears this and says, wait a minute, Jesus. This isn't what we thought was going to happen. I'm not going to embarrass you in front of the other disciples, but let's, let's have a conversation, you and me. I'm going to take you out back. We're going to have a conversation like Dad used to have a conversation with me. And he takes him out back, and he says that Peter starts to rebuke Jesus. But it says this, verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, he, Jesus, rebuked Peter. And said to his friends, get behind me, Satan. Now imagine that being your response to one of your friends. But Jesus knows the words that you just spoke are not from God. They're not of God. He says, get behind me, Satan. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. When we live that monopoly tagline, when we live thinking success is going to be found in the stuff that we own, we're setting our eyes and our mind upon the things of man and thinking this is going to bring some level of satisfaction. And every one of us have been there. We felt that way. And then we've attained some of those things. And as soon as we attain some of those things, we realize that what I thought was going to bring satisfaction still leaves me feeling wanting. And so we pursue something else, and often it's just more stuff. Well, I thought that that was going to bring satisfaction. That must not have been it. There must be something else. And we pursue money, we pursue things, we pursue power, we pursue fame. Thinking, man, all these things are going to come together, and if I just have some measure of satisfaction through these things, I'm going to feel better about myself. And at the end of that conversation, we're often feeling left out. Feeling like, man, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Now, Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. He has this very intimate conversation. He says, listen, it's not what you think it is. He looks at his disciples and says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not what you've been looking for. 
But then if we just flip over, maybe on the other page of, of our Bible, uh, in, in Mark chapter 9, even though Jesus just had this teaching about it's not about power, it's not about things that you have, the disciples begin to have a conversation. Now, Jesus isn't there. They don't think that Jesus can hear them. So they start to have a conversation. How many of you uh, at, at work, you still work and you have a boss at work? And how many of y'all know like the conversation when the boss is there is a little bit different than when the boss isn't there? And so for them, they think the boss isn't here, Jesus isn't here, and so let's have a conversation. And they start to discuss, which one of us do you think is the greatest? Like, which one of us in Jesus' kingdom is the most important? And Jesus comes, and it doesn't happen just on one occasion, because it happens over in Mark chapter 9. But to transition to where you're going, I want to look at another text where it happens. If you have your Bibles, flip over to the next gospel, the gospel of Luke chapter 22. And the conversation is happening here as well. Luke 22, verses 24 through 27. Watch this conversation. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So the disciples, the ones that, by the way, prior to Jesus picking them, everybody else had given up on them. They were the fishermen. They were the tax collectors. They were the ones that were allowed to continue on with the religious education that they wanted. So everybody else had given up on them, but only a couple of years into following Jesus, and they start to think, well, I must be the greatest now. And so there's having this conversation, well, did you see when he did this, and I was with him when he did that, and, and he allowed me to be a part of this. And, and so they're having this conversation, Jesus, who came and said, our world, the, the kingdom we're seeking is not of this world, but they fall prey to it just like you and I do. And so they're having this conversation, they're asking, which of us is to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus' response is this. And he said to them, The king of the Gentiles exercises lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at a table... Or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. To understand a little bit about the culture of Jesus' day. When they would go into a house to have dinner, they'd often invite friends and family over. And they would, they would come into dinner and, and they would recline at the table. They didn't have tables and chairs like we have today where we sit up and, and, and we eat at a table. Often what would happen is they had tables that were really, really low to the ground. And so they would almost lay down to be able to eat their meal with their feet laying behind them. Now, they also lived in a culture where they all wore sandals and they all walked quite a bit because they didn't have vehicles back then. As we have vehicles today, they didn't have cars and whatnot. And, 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 and they also lived in a culture where there were no paved roads, so they'd have to walk on dirt. And so their feet were often filthy. If we've ever walked outside on a in a sandy area where there's a lot of dirt, we realize man, it only takes a little bit of time, and soon there's a, a film covering your feet. And that's just how their life always was. And so whenever they would sit down at a nice meal at someone's house, often, especially if they had more money, they'd have servants in the house that took care of the different tasks. And the lowest on the rung of the servants had the responsibility that when the dinner guests would arrive for dinner and they would recline at the table, as their feet were dragging behind them, the lowest servant had the responsibility of coming up behind them and taking a wash basin and taking a towel and washing their feet to make their feet clean. 
And so Jesus says, here's, here's what we think. Here's, here's what the world tells us. Is that if, if, if we're important, if we're the greatest among them. He says, listen, which one of these is the greatest? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Like for their culture, that was the powerful one. That was a dinner guest. That was the person at the top of the rung. They didn't have to do anything that day. They're being uh, served by the other people. And he says, which is the greatest? So it seemed to be the one who's reclining at the table. But he says this about himself. But I am among you as the one who serves. I come not to be considered greatest or most powerful. Now, I want us to understand this. It's not that Jesus is teaching us to, to be weak. That's not it at all. He just says, my power is very different than the power of the world around us. In fact, Jesus said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And meekness isn't weakness. Meekness is power that's under control. So it's not that we're powerless, but our power looks very different than the power the world is striving for, the power the world that wants, wants to attain, to have money and to have wealth and have influence and all those things. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to put that off because I was placed here to serve. We fast forward about a year in Jesus' life into another gospel, John chapter 13. And Jesus says, I'm not only going to teach this principle, but I want to put this principle on display for my followers to see. Watch this. John 13, verses 1 through 7. Now, this is right as Jesus is preparing for his crucifixion. These are his final teaching moments with his disciples. And he says this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper... When the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Now as we read that, the disciples were probably thinking, well, that's kind of curious. Like Jesus is kind of the honored guest here. Why did Jesus get up from the table? I know supper's ended, but why, he, why is he the first one up? And he goes and he takes one of their long towels and he starts to tie it around his, his belt. And he, and he starts to prepare to serve. Took the towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter. It's always Simon Peter being the one to speak up. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him and said, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. There's Peter trying to rebuke Jesus again. He says, you're never going to wash my feet. Like, like you're Jesus, you're the king. You're, I'm supposed to be serving you. Jesus, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. And Jesus responds, Answers him and says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Peter responded and said to him, Lord, not my feet now, but also my hands and my head. Like Peter goes from one extreme to the other. I'm not going to let you wash my feet. And Jesus says, all right, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And he says, all right, then wash my hands, my head. Like cover me then, Jesus. Like he was so quick. He's, so, he's, he's witty sometimes. He's funny. But he's not always thinking through. Jesus said to him. 
The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. So, Peter, you didn't come here dirty like you've bathed. It's just you've been walking, and your feet have gotten dirty, so I don't need to wash all of you, but I need to wash your feet. And you are clean, but not every one of them. And he's referring to, at that point, he's referring to Judas, who was there with him. And, you know, I, I read this passage over and over. And I look at that, and I think, man, that's such a powerful picture. Like, Jesus took on the form of the lowliest servant of the house. And he said, I want to show them what service looks like. And so here's what he says I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to take the form of the lowliest servant. And I'm going to model what servanthood looks like. Now, I'm about to go to my death, which is the true model of servanthood, me giving up my life for my friends. But he says, but I'm going to go to the lowest form of servanthood here. I've read that passage over and over, and I thought, man, that's such a powerful display. Obviously, that was a cultural thing. It was the lowliest form of servanthood in their day. And I started to think about, like, in our culture, if, if we are someone's guests and we are to go into the home, what is the lowliest job in the house that no one else wants to do? And then you walk in as the guest of the home, and you go and do it. And I thought, well, maybe, like, going and cleaning their toilets. I don't think anybody really looked forward to that job. And, and, and then you go and you say, I'm, I'm a guest in your home, and so to serve you, I want to take on the lowliest form of servanthood that I know. I thought, man, that's a powerful picture, Jesus. Like if we could all just, just learn what servanthood actually looked like from the master servant, we'd all get it. But I always looked at it as kind of exemplary. Jesus was giving us an example. And I didn't look at it as something as we necessarily had to specifically model what he did in terms of actually washing the feet of other people around us. And then almost 20 years ago, I had a chance to go. My wife and I were actually uh, running a, a Christian summer camp for students. And, and we had the privilege of going and picking up uh, uh, two college students that summer. And they had actually had a group of about 20 college students that were all being trained together. And it was our responsibility to pick up two of them, take them where we were living in Largo, and go and, and start to serve with them for that summer. And so they had about these 20 or 30 kids that were going through training together. And at the end of that week, we as leaders would go there and, and spend a couple of days with them to get to know them and then take them back to the area they were serving. Well, the, the final day we were there, those students who didn't know each other prior to arriving there uh, that particular week were asked to get to put together a, a service, like a, 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 an actual church service, but not in a very traditional way. And they were put in different teams. They said, we're going to go and serve. A lot of us are still serving kids this summer. And so we want to see what type of creativity that you have. And so we're going to put you out there and see, put you in these pods of teams. You're going to create a service together. And we're going to put all these four elements together and make the service. So I'm watching and kind of seeing what they do. And one of the groups was supposed to model service in this actual church service. And so what they did that day is they took all the leaders who'd arrived. There wasn't a whole lot of us. And they had to sit in a circle. And they actually came by and said, would you please take your shoes off? And they proceeded to wash our feet. And here's the thing. When I read that, I always thought, like, that's, that's kind of weird. That's cultural. That's not for us. Because, like, we tend to think of feet as just kind of weird. And I thought, well, like, at first it was really uncomfortable for me. Like, I didn't want to take my shoes off. And I'm like, man... Like, 
that, that's, that's just a little bit weird to me. I said, even if you're not comfortable with it, why don't you take your shoes off? And, and so I did, and I took my shoes off, and, and I allowed the person to, to wash my feet, and, and then I allowed them to take the towel and, and dry my feet. And I don't know what it was about that moment. But here's a college student is who I had only met about 30 seconds before, who was carefully drying my feet with this really, really white towel. And it just led me to tears, like real actual tears as pastor, as youth pastor up on stage, just, just in tears. And I didn't know why it led me to that. But I realized something that day as I was having my, my feet washed by these college students. I realized that when Jesus told us to go and do this, when he set the model and said, I want you to go and do this, it was because that was bringing three, three things to, to mind in our lives. Number one, for the person who was doing the foot washing itself, there had to be humility. This was considered the lowliest of tasks in their day. In our day, it seems so foreign to us. And so it teaches the person who is actually washing the foot of the other person, it teaches them humility. But it also teaches a second thing. And I couldn't even really put this in words when it first happened. But as that, that young college guy was, was washing and drying my feet, there was just a connectedness that took place. That was really above anything I could, I could understand or verbalize. I said, I don't understand why in, in this moment, like this person's washing and drying my feet, and I feel like I want to get up and give the person a hug. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know why. Like, what is it about this moment? But servanthood and humility strips away this false persona of our personalities. And it lets us see each other as we actually are. And all of a sudden, there was a connectedness between us that if we had talked for two hours, we wouldn't have experienced. But by him taking on the menial task of washing my feet, there's a connectedness that defied my understanding. And the third thing that it brought about for me was connected to that. But it was, it was a love. It was a saying, man, this is, this is just different. And there's something deep that's happening. As this guy's washing my feet and, and I'm sitting here saying, I just want to give, like, stand up, I want to give you a hug. And, and I want to cry on your shoulder for a second. And I don't know why other, other than there's an intimacy that's happened that's taken place that this false persona has been stripped away. And we're being real with each other for a second. So I went from thinking, man, this is really, really weird, to know this is actually really, really powerful. And so I'm going to ask first for my wife to join me up on stage. And then I've asked a couple of people to help us demonstrate this this morning. So if you also would join us up on stage.
And once you get up, you can go ahead and be seated and take off your shoes. If you have socks on, take off socks as well. And I know what you're thinking. And we don't do this very often. In fact, I can remember, I think one other time, I think Michael's done this before, if I remember correctly. But when we do this, it is symbolic of what Jesus did for us. And so Jesus took the, the disciples, and he began, Eddie, if you could put your feet in here. And he just began to wash their feet, taking on this, this lowly task. And in doing it, he showed humility. And there was a, a connectedness. There was, there, was, there was something different that was being taken place. There was humility. There was that connectedness. And there was love. Then take your feet out. And move this out of the way so you can. Yeah, you can go ahead and put your feet in there. There's humility, there's connectedness, and there was love. I love you, my brother. Now, I've read this story over and over. But the one thing that never really connected with me prior to this was that early on in this passage, it says there's a person there named Judas who is about to betray Jesus. He's about to give him up to be killed. And he's one of the people that day that Jesus washes his feet. And I don't know about you, but if it was me, like that's why they had Jesus do this and not JJ, because if it was me, <laughs> man, I would have yelled at him. I would have shouted at him, Judas, we have this mission. What are you doing? But Jesus knew this simple but profound truth. It's hard to shout at someone when you're serving them. We have a world right now that is full of people set on shouting at each other. And look around. If instead of shouting at each other, we would learn to serve, it would make all the difference in the world. I'm, I'm convinced our shouting would stop if we'd learn to love. I love you, my brother. So Jesus, in, in doing this, is modeling for us that this is what love is supposed to look like. That as we look at the culture around us, as we look at the, the screaming and the shouted and shouting and the hatred, that that's not a part of who we're supposed to be. And if anything, we as believers should be leading the charge in what service looks like. We should look for opportunities for people who maybe don't think like us or, or talk like us or, or act like us. Maybe they have a different worldview entirely. That instead of shouting at each other, we'd, we'd look for, hey, how can I 
serve you. Because it's really hard to shout at somebody when you're serving them. I have a friend of mine that I went to college with. He's an African-American pastor down in South St. Pete's. Take your feet out. And I called him up this week with all the stuff that's going on. We hadn't connected in quite some time. He's a really, really great guy, really encouraging. And, and we haven't talked in years. And, and I called him up and was just making arrangements for us to get together. As we made arrangements to get together, I said, man, here's, here's what God has on my heart right now. Is we need to stop shouting. We need to start serving. And I shared with him, that's my big idea this Sunday in church, man, that it's, it's hard to shout at someone when you're serving them. And he responded that quickly. And it's equally as hard to shout when you're receiving service. Like that side of it had never hit me before. I want to be on the side of the, the person who's serving, but he says, but if you're on the end, receiving end of that service, it's equally as hard to shout. Thank you guys for volunteering. You guys can go back. Love you, my brother. Now, I don't think for a minute that all it's going to take is, is one sermon or, or one big idea and instantly all of our challenges are gone. They're not. But we begin a discussion of saying, how can we start to look at the world around us? As Jesus looked at Judas, the one who's about to betray him, how can we look at the world around us and start to, to love in a way that Jesus would have loved his very, people who believed different than he did? People who came from different walks of life, came from different education levels. People who came and said, man, my worldview has never been consistent with, with, with your worldview. How can we start to, to love as Jesus loved, to serve as Jesus served. I shared this on social media this week. But I'm a big fan. Of a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a German pastor who. Right as Hitler was coming to power. When no one knew how evil he was. He saw what was happening. And he said we have to stand up. And actually at one point he was teaching here in the United States. And he felt so called as. As. Hitler's rise to power was happening. He said, I got to go back even if it means risking my life. And he went back and he, he spoke up against Hitler. He's even part of one of the coup attempts to try to kill him. Incredible teacher, incredible communicator. In the midst of all that, he was put into a concentration camp. And his punishments kept getting more and more severe. And literally a couple of days before the fall of, of Hitler, Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave his life fighting Nazism. Before he died, he said it this way. He said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. The past week has been really tough. 
on both sides. People losing their life. Last week, this week, police officers losing their life. And we're so quick to want to to pick our sides and and fight against each other and, and who can yell the loudest. But the world doesn't need hatred. It needs healing. The world doesn't need loathing. It needs love. The world doesn't need shouting. It needs service. You see, it's really hard to shout at somebody if you're busy serving them. See, it's really hard to shout at someone if you're serving them. 